Hi, welcome to Perspectives, a podcast where we highlight the voices of women of color at Harvard. For this episode, we will be discussing the anonymous submissions of women of color at Harvard. Keep listening to hear their stories. Welcome to the anonymous episode of Perspectives. Um, so we're going to start off by introducing ourselves, people who are running this podcast. My name is Kari. I use she, her pronouns, and I am a first year at Harvard. My intending concentrations are either government or sociology, and I want to have a secondary concentration in environmental science and public policy because I'm very passionate about environmental activism and social justice activism. Um, I'm from Houston, I live in Dallas, and I'll pass it to Alexandria to introduce herself. Hi everyone, my name is Alexandria. Um, I take the SHE series. I'm also a first year studying government. Um, I intend to concentrate in government, playing around with different secondary options. Um, probably should do one. And I also live in the Dallas area. I'm originally from Houston as well. Um, Kari and I have the same life in that aspect and um, I'm on the cheer team at Harvard I am heavily involved with Harvard Democrats and outside of class I'm super passionate about social justice and activism um, and super involved in campaigning yeah so um, now we're just going to jump into the first story that was submitted to us so someone wrote that their professor confused their discussion contributions um, continuously with another brown girls a lot throughout the semester. Um, and they wanted to note that he's a great person, um, but it was just kind of irritating to be like a South Asian woman and have their contributions kind of confused, even though they weren't really alike at all. So anything to comment on that? I mean, it just, I think one thing that we're is going to be a main takeaway from this episode is that there's also a lot of microaggressions. What we saw in our past two episodes were just like outright um, examples of discrimination and or sexism and racism. Um, I mean, but the microaggressions really go a long way too. And so I just think like looking at this example, um, like as he as the girl said he's probably a really great professor um but you know i think it's just really important to note where all of us can do better and you know that brings us to this question like what can bystanders do what are effective resolutions how can we like continually work towards change yeah and that reminds me of something that i've been thinking about a lot recently um, so a lot of times when we think of racism, we think of it like a fixed characteristic, like like um, you are either a racist or you're not. And if you like do one racist action, then you're a racist forever. And then if you are never racist, then you like can never be called a racist. But I think racism is like interchangeable, it's fluid. So like it's important for us to be practicing anti-racism um, and like not being misogynistic as well because this is about like an intersection of identities but like 
it's fluid. So even if people are good people, they can still be racist and it's up to them and up to people to hold them accountable and let them know that their actions are racist. Because otherwise, if you go out and tell someone and be like, hey, you're a racist, then they're never gonna really wanna change because that kind of makes people shut down and feel attacked. Um, and so like that brings us back to like the bystander perspective because you wouldn't wanna be like, like a student in the class wouldn't wanna say, professor, you're a racist. You should have never said that. Um, you should be fired from your job for doing that and it's unacceptable what you did because even though it is unacceptable and even though they shouldn't have said that um it's really important to take it take take up an approach um that is more constructive rather than destructive and let them know hey what you did wasn't um that it didn't make the person feel good and it kind of invalidated their identity as a south asian woman and um it's up to you to be more in um, to, to notice when you're doing these types of things and to notice um, the identities of the students whose discussion posts you're commenting on and to acknowledge like their different experiences as separate women and not to treat South Asian women or, or any women of the same race as a monolith. Yeah, I think the monolith um, aspect of it is really important to know. Like, um, and I think in creating um, more inclusive spaces and spaces that are more accepting and diverse and acknowledging of these different stories is what's the acknowledgement of these different stories is like what's important acknowledging people's individuality um so it's not to erase their identities um but to acknowledge those as separate stories and as part of their personhood is really important um but on the aspect of like you know we talked about acknowledging faults and taking a commitment to certain actions um, to be anti-racist, to be anti-sexist, anti-misogynistic. Um, but there's also other ways that bystanders can intervene. Um, so our next story is, um, I'll read it off. One time I was walking with my friend who is Chinese American and somebody yelled Kung Flu at her. As far as other experiences with racism, while not at Harvard, I've had a few interesting catcalling incidents that involve my race and sexual orientation. Um, so I think what's really interesting here, especially, you know, in terms of COVID-19 and calling things the Kung flu, there's a lot of inflammatory language that led up to um, how Asian Americans have been treated especially in regards to COVID-19. Um, and one, like, we just have to acknowledge that's unequivocally not acceptable, right? So, but other people don't understand that quite yet. Um, I've noticed a lot of people are trying to, like, invalidate um, Asian people and saying that, like, statements like Kung Flu are racist. They're like, oh, it's just, like, a a silly name for the virus it's not racist at all it's not like actively um like offending anyone but i think it's important for us to acknowledge that like we don't get to choose what offends people um if people think that it's offensive then it is offensive to them and we should respect that and if asian people are saying that the statement kung flu is racist then we just shouldn't say it it's truly not that difficult to take things out of our out of our vocabulary and um in striving to be like better allies for people of communities that we're not a part of. It's important to like listen to their perspective and understand that like we don't have a say in what they um, think is offensive to them. 
Exactly, exactly. And to invalidate the underpinnings of that language um, is really harmful, I think, in my opinion. Because where that language started was from a really harmful place. And we don't get to dictate how people perceive the invalidation of their own identities and experiences. We don't get to dictate that. So it should not be just a dismissal of um, the, like, being yelled kung flu. Like, imagine, like, I can't even imagine walking down the street and, like, having that yelled at someone. Like, when this was, like, a global pandemic completely out of your hands and, like, like somehow, like, I would perceive that, speaking from the eye perspective, I would, like, perceive that as, like, almost, like, pointing fingers. And that would be really like really freaking hard to deal with like that's just completely unnecessary um but i do think that one if you do hear that in conversation you do hear that um in a manner in which you can engage it's important to as you said like acknowledge like hey this is actually really harmful um you can't just dismiss it but on the other hand i think that on the topic of you know being catcalled on the street or having you know that kind of uncomfortable experience there's also a lot of power in engaging with the person who's being affected by it by being able to provide in a distraction or an out in that moment um so that way like they can actually escape the situation and not have to be like harmed by it any further and so if there's a way for someone to like if I were experiencing that I would really appreciate if someone did that for me um because like you know I've I'm I'm a female and like femme presenting person um who's in college I've been catcalled a few times myself like walking down the street I mean I was followed um four times this semester um so like one time I was walking down the street in Harvard Square. This was traumatizing, okay? But one time I was walking down the street in Harvard Square and it was my first day. So if you don't know like Harvard's quarantine policy, um, we had phase one, phase two, and phase three. And so phase three meant that you had been in quarantine for a week and gotten your three negative tests, meaning there was a very, very, very low chance that you had COVID. And so it was my first day being able to like leave my dorm for more than 30 minutes. And I was very excited. So I like dressed really cute, had this cute sundress on. And um, I went to go like walk around to see Cambridge. Like I'm here, might as well make the most of it. So I was like really excited to get out and I'm walking down the street in Harvard Square. And all of a sudden, like I'm just doing my thing, walking down the street, you know? <laughs> and all of a sudden I hear a <laughs> and I'm, I'm like I just like it's the global pandemic okay so I look up and I see this like man and he just is making direct eye contact with me I'm like I just want to know what happened okay I'm not trying to catch COVID from aerosolized like droplets in the air okay and spit not conducive to that situation and so I look up, he makes eye contact with me and he starts walking towards me. Like he has his hands out, looks like he's ready to push me. I'm walking like back on the curb. So like, meanwhile, like I'm walking backwards, but I get to the point to where if I walk any further back, I'm going to be in oncoming traffic. So I'm like, 
not great, not ideal. So I pivot, turn around um, on the curb and I'm like walking super fast, like just ignoring him. And he's like, he's getting faster. I'm getting faster at this point. Like I'm a five, three brunette girl who is scared of a lot of things. Okay. I am at this point I am running. And, <laughs> and so this man is like six foot. So he is just keeping pace. And the entire time this is happening, he's yelling ping pong, ping pong, just aggressively. It is 3 PM in broad daylight. All right. So the least someone could have done, because there were people standing there, the least people could have done was just like, try to offer me an out when that like first happened, you know, to try to like, just take me away from the situation when they saw like, hey, there's an uncomfy experience happening where like, I was walking backward for some time and they saw like, hey, that's probably not great. Um, Let me help this girl out. Alas, did not happen. I was able to run into the square, I mean, into the yard, like completely traumatized. That was my first time getting like harassed, like harassed on the street. Um, but yeah, that there was that. I also had another guy like chase me down the square, having me like try to eat his food. And like, I told like, finally, like after like half a block, he's like, um, I tried to turn around and say like, no like you know when like girls like have to like bark at creepy men like this was my form of that because like (laughs) um and so like i just turn around like no and so he turns around and i'm like i'm sorry for cursing but he's like he turns around he goes these fucking bitches and walks off so i'm like again when you saw someone trying to like force me to eat their food and following me for that maybe because that also happened in broad daylight um on a public street that also would have been a great time to like intervene um but you know doesn't happen all the time and but you know that those are my experiences i've but you know it's it's like in the current moment i think we have to look at solutions that work in the moment because obviously if we lived in a perfect world that those things wouldn't happen. But I think by being a good bystander and thus being a good ally, um, you can really work towards resolving the situations in ways that minimize harm. Yeah, I think I think it was great of you to share that example. Thank you very much for sharing that. That that's very scary. Um, but yeah. I think it's <laughs> I think it's <laughs> Like the example um, that the other person submitted shows like people being um, like talked to on the street um, and like discriminated against on the street because of their racial identity, their ethnic identity, and yours was because of your gender identity or um, your how you are presenting as femme. And so um, I think that like shows how challenging it is to be a woman of color and just like to exist because you have to worry about like both of those aspects of your identity. Like one day you might be walking down the street and then you get catcalled because you're a woman. And then another day it's because um, like this person submitted because they're Chinese American. Um, and like you said, I think it's super important to assess the situation. And um, if you think that it's safe to address the person who- um, Of course. This, then it's good. But if you think that it's just gonna provoke them to further induce harm on the person who is being victimized, then definitely just, 
um, focus your attention on the person at hand and comfort them in the way in the best way you possibly can um, just to make them as comfortable as possible in such an uncomfortable situation yeah definitely checking in especially uh, if there's no way to like intervene or after you intervene and then you check in that's um i think that's a really great solution too um so for our next submission i'll read it out loud basically this one time i was waiting at the bus stop and this guy started yelling really really loudly about all the girls of my race he's dated and what that was like if you know what i mean he said some really random stuff about them and called them goddesses and a bunch of other weird exoticizing words. Um, it's important to note that the person that submitted this is a South Asian woman, um, and so that contributes um, to um, how this made them feel. So I think this um, this shows like yikes, yeah. yikes, like people. This goes back to like thinking about what's offensive to people because. Like the fetishization of Asian women is like a huge problem. But then a lot of times when I see Asian women bringing this up, people are like, oh, you should be happy. Um, society thinks you're attractive and you shouldn't be complaining about this type of thing, but it's not their place to say what they should, should and shouldn't be uncomfortable about. Um, and so I think it's horrible that like she had to experience this. That's so uncomfortable and so unnecessary and it's creepy it's just downright creepy and there was it's just downright creepy and i think we're like because it comes down to like especially when you brought up the people are like oh you should be happy people think you're attractive one like why live everyone else's standards if it makes me feel uncomfortable it makes me feel uncomfortable two i think people really forget about like the autonomy of like choosing how you feel comforted and or comfortable in expressing your own sexuality like if you want to be like really like moderate like in how you express your sexuality great if you don't great but like that's how that should be all determined by how you um express that not how other people perceive it so like no matter what no one should be making crude comments about your um sexuality or like how that's perceived no one else gets to make that comment like if you feel if you want to go out and say like i feel sexy in this dress period do it but that should not be unsolicited by like people on a like someone on a at a bus like someone like it shouldn't even be with people you know but especially like just the creakiness boundary of like someone you don't know like, I can't even imagine, like, the audacity. But, like, the importance here is that this really comes down to autonomy and how you want to perceive yourself and your own sexuality. Not And, like, that is not up to others um, to dictate. Yeah, that reminds me of how people, um, after um, women have been sexually assaulted, they say that she was asking for it just because she was ex- expressing her own sexuality. And that's disgusting um people should be empowered to wear what they want to wear to do what they want to do and it shouldn't be their fault how other people act towards them like you're in charge of your own self and like if other people are out of control that's their own fault and you shouldn't be like attacking women for expressing themselves in the ways that make them feel the most confident and the most comfortable um and like that on top of the fact that like 
um, the person who submitted this was being sexualized simply because of their race, which they cannot control in the slightest. Um, that that is so sad that society is like that, and it's disgusting how like it's not it's not really recognized at all. Um, like I haven't really heard a lot of people talking about things like this, so I'm super grateful to the person who submitted this because it's a super important topic to speak about. Yeah, definitely, and like especially noting like the fetishization of women of color depending on like however that spectrum is supposed to work because i don't really understand it uh, myself but like in no way shape or form is that correct and in no way shape or form is it someone else's place to comment on it wait it makes me i just want to mention that it makes me laugh um <laughs> this is off topic this is on tiktok it makes me laugh when white men um on tiktok they like they make it a point to post like i love black women um i love my chocolate i love my chocolate <laughs> um, and then the black girls in the comments are like yes finally we got one because like they're so conditioned um to like not be desired simply because of their identities as black women and so like the moment um a, a non-self-respecting white boy says that they desire black women which they probably don't they just say it because they want to get attention for being like racially accepting or something like that but the moment that happens then they like eat it up because like that's what they're conditioned to do um so that was just something that came to mind i'm like you know what's hotter supporting my human rights let's get that as a foundation first <laughs> very true. i mean i'm not wrong <laughs> you're not like, we gotta establish a foundation here. Fair minimum. Oh, the bar is really through the floor. Um, <laughs> okay, so, um, oh god, okay, this next story. Um, similar lines. So, the um, story says, and then another time I was walking around downtown with my girlfriend, and some guy yelled uh, something along the lines of, Who's going to go down for who? And I was totally taken aback. I wish men could stop, ju- could just stop fetishizing women who like other women. I feel like it's so ingrained in popular culture. Like Liam Payne's song, Both Ways, it's basically saying that bisexual women really wanna, j- just really wanna threesome. Uh. Very, very true. Um, and it definitely does not happen for men um, who like, like men who like men, um, the same sort of sexualization doesn't occur. Every time um, I see like anything in the media, like a, a television show or like a movie. And um, like recently I was watching something on Netflix called, Are You The One? And they were playing Spin The Bottle. And it was like a reality show about like people who were stuck in, this is really irrelevant, but it's a, it's a reality show about people who are stuck um, in this house in Hawaii and they are paired with their perfect match, their scientific perfect match after a bunch of tests. And um, they have to like guess the match correctly in 10 tries so they can win a million dollars. But they were playing spin the bottle so they can try to like get each other's chemistry. And like anytime a man would spin the bottle and it would land on a man, they'd be like, no, no bro, never. But then when the women did it, they were like, the men were like, yo, you gotta, you gotta do it. And that's just, that's such a double standard. Um, like men um, see women who love women as like, like something for their own sexual desires and not just like independent beings who have their own sexuality and free will. Um, so that's what this submission reminds me of. Yeah. 
I, I think you really said it best. Um, especially, I think that, too, I think it's really important to note, like, the intersection of being a bisexual woman. And, like, I've heard, like, so, you, I mean, we both grew up in Texas. Like, so there's a certain culture, political culture. And, like, I just... um grew up hearing like oh well bisexual people just don't know what they want they just want sex like like that's just not true like you can't invalidate someone's sexuality like that or sexual orientation like that and so i just i really wanted to talk about like that last point because (sighs) that like ties into like this idea of like oh, well, now we're getting to dictate, like, what they want in their sex life or, like, what their sexual orientation is, like, um, and, like, using that for our own, like, using that for society's own gaze instead of just, like, hey, these are two people. They love each other. They like to have sex with each other. And that's okay. Like, that's okay for heterosexual couples. But, like, why can't it be, like, why can't it be okay for any other type of couple? So I just, uh, that that last point really 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 sent me um i mean i've never listened to the song so never will will because i don't want to listen to that i i I don't want to listen to that um also so sad that three of the submissions that we got were all about women being like yelled at on the street for things that they cannot control or things that shouldn't be yelled no nothing being yelled at on the street as a woman (laughs) Yes, being killed on the street shouldn't occur, period. But the fact that we have three submissions about, like, this and, like, each of these are so different. Like, one's about race and, well, actually two are about race, but one's about, like, race and gender, like, combined as an intersection. Then one's about, like, like sexual orientation. That's so sad. Um, like, it just gets worse the more you, like, there's a basic foundation here. There was a basic boundary that should not have been crossed. But the further you go, the worse it gets. Yeah, um, I don't like that at all. Um, Neither do I. The strategy for this situation, since it's like the third catcalling situation, would be similar to each of the other ones, um, just like comforting the people who um, are being discriminated against um, and like assessing the situation. If you can talk to the, to the catcaller, then talk to them. But if it's not safe for the people involved, then don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a really similar line of action here. And just, like, um, I think people really underestimate the power of checking in. Like, that's, like, the cornerstone of creating a compassionate society. It's just like, hey, that wasn't right. How you doing? So, yeah, definitely. Um, So this next experience is my own. Um, So I lived in Mather House in Harvard. Uh, First of all, it was named after a slave owner, therefore the name should not be Mather. Um, Alexandria also lived in Mather, and she shares the same sentiment. Uh, I, I do, can confirm. Um, so that makes me uncomfortable. They should definitely change that name, but that's besides the point. So one day I was doing my own thing. I was sporting a Harvard sweatshirt. I was holding my Harvard keychain. I was literally wearing a Harvard mask. So I was like head to toe in Harvard apparel. Which walk- shouldn't have to be the standard, but nonetheless. Um, and I walk into the mailroom and I tell them my um, 
like mailbox number and I say, hi, I got an email that I received a package. Um, can I please um, grab it? And then they look me up and down. They kind of give me a side eye. And then they said, can I see your ID, please? And I was like, okay. And I'd been to the mailroom before. This was a person I'd never seen. Um, and I gave them my ID, but like I had never been asked for my ID before. All I've ever been asked for is my like mailbox number, maybe my last name, um, which makes sense. Yeah, I also, as someone who went to the same um, center to pick up packages, um, all I was ever asked for was my mailbox number. Yeah, and like, um, I like I'm Latina, but I definitely understand. Like, I have really pale skin. I present as white. Like. I understand like how I look and like the certain privileges and advantages that come with that. Um, so like, but as someone who also lived there, I can confirm like all they asked for, they never once asked me for my ID or even my last name um, to check if I had a package, just my mailbox number. Yeah, FYI, I'm, I'm a black woman. So if that gives you any insight into this experience, but um, yes, I was asked for my ID. And then afterwards I asked around with other people and I was like, hey, um, when you go to the Mather Mail Center, have you ever been asked for your ID? And everyone said no. Everyone said, like, at most, last name. Um, and it's important to note that everyone I asked was not Black, mostly because there were literally no Black people in Mather, which I'll touch on later. But uh, yes, everyone said no. And so that, make, that leads me to believe that this was a questionable ask um, for them to ask me for my ID. And it makes me a little bit uncomfortable, so. I'm really sorry. It's okay. Um, I've experienced worse. I think uh, this was more of an implicit bias thing rather than like um, an ex- like outwardly, like aggressively racist thing. But still, like it's important to acknowledge our own internal biases and like like actively try and correct them because like even if it's not on purpose, it's still harmful and we should still like do our best to avoid um putting people in situations like that definitely and like i think it's really because like at the root of prejudice is that implicit bias right so we have to like i mean there's a whole kind of like long complicated response as to like how we develop prejudice and how we internalize hatred and like how we act upon that hatred and prejudice in internalized ways i mean in, in systemic ways but Besides going into that, like, we can acknowledge that implicit bias exists. That is a fact. And so what can we do to actively work against those biases? Well, if you're, like, one, if we have to uphold, in that case, like, that's a standard thing. Like, if you're concerned about people stealing people's packages, then ask everyone for their IDs. But don't apply it unequally like that's a stand like that resolution is like clear and cut apply the standard equally like there's like that's not a thing of equity that's not like you know that has a simple solution of just like treating it with like clear equality like but um in terms of just like acknowledging implicit bias these like when we acknowledge them and want to address them and we're open to addressing them that's where we can change as people like, I, I mean, I've experienced, like, people questioning my academic integrity because of my ethnicity, which, 
Hello, imposter syndrome. Um, it's too common of a problem. Literally every single person of color that I've spoken to has had the same issue, and that's disgusting. I just like, like I won't like these happen outside of Harvard's walls, which I'm really glad. Like I've never found um, anyone within the Harvard community to try to invalidate like my academic integrity in that way. But like in high school, I went to like a private high school, um, and like a lot of people like try to accuse me of things or, like you don't really belong here. Like you're you're just a scholarship kid. I'm like all right, like I didn't tell you anything about my financial life, but. That's cool. Um, like I even got called a stupid Mexican for getting into Harvard. That's anything. That's something else to talk about. But I just think like those those experiences, like how those people treated me, like speaking from the eye perspective, like that was people's implicit biases about Hispanic or Latinx people. This experience was like how people had implicit biases about black people and black women and it's just like to and it's just like in both cases we need to work with people to acknowledge um those biases and like that's where like implicit bias training and like critical race theory is like really important to teach in schools and that's where like i think it like really starts with education even like in the formal setting and the informal setting like within your own spaces like you need to talk to your friends and your family about like what implicit bias is what prejudice is like why we harbor that and like how we change it yeah i don't really have anything else to add that was very very important to note um thank you like going back to the um admission thing uh, i see a lot of that on social media um people are so bold behind a screen and they love to comment on on people of color at harvard's posts like um affirmative action affirmative action um but then they have no picture of themselves, they have no name, nothing to like share their identity, and they have no idea how hard people have worked to get into this school. Um, you don't know, and that's the thing. Um, for anyone who listens to this who has experienced something similar or has imposter syndrome about, and like has their doubts about like what affirmative action means, I wanna share some advice that like my college counselor um, gave me when applying to college, like, when that happened because I told him what had happened with this girl senior year like the day like I was coming back to school right after getting in um wearing like my Harvard gear should have been like a really happy day and like found out that she said was saying this behind my back and like apparently got on someone's snapchat story it was a whole mess like um I just put my hand over my mouth for those y'all who can't see oop (laughs) um (laughs) But basically what he said was that that is just so incredibly inaccurate. There's so many people applying to college and especially applying to institutions like Harvard, where if they wanted to fill their class with solely Mexican women, like Mexican American women, there are so many qualified women, like females alone, or if they like wanted to just fill, um, fill up the class with Latinx people, like that broadens the pool even more. And like, I'm, um, and he says, and I quote, they could fill their class 10 times over with that. So they're selecting you for you. Your identity makes you who you are. But if they were solely picking based on 
um, racial identity, ethnic, ethnic identity, or gender identity, that's not how the numbers would work. And there's so many people, so many qualified people, they don't have to worry about whether or not someone is like someone's racial identity or gender identity has anything to do with them being qualified enough to attend the school. So if you're experiencing that, that was probably the best advice and response I've gotten to imposter syndrome. Not like most people are like, oh, well, you know, you've worked hard. I'm like, well, I know I did, but all these other kids did too. So that's probably the best and most inclusive and progressive response I've heard to that. So you are loved, you are worth so much and you deserve to be here. Don't let anyone ever tell you any different. Yes, that, thank, thank you, Alexandra. That was so important. I was like, it was important, a little off, to- a little off topic, but important to note. Yes, yes. Um, so the next thing isn't really like an experience. This is just funny to me. Um, so earlier I mentioned how they black people and rather like I literally so in this course that we're filming this podcast for in power to the people there was another person um, who lived in Mather and she was a senior and um, we were in a breakout room together and I was talking about the the, the Mather cafeteria because after um, the murder of George Floyd and after um, there was a Black Lives Matter rally in Boston um, so after that, um, a lot of people in Mather like came together and they made signs that they put around the cafeteria um, saying like protect black women and like abolish the system that killed Breonna Taylor and things like that. And that's super supportive. But um, and that's important. That's important to know. Like supportive and important. Um, I'm not I'm not like dissing them in any way for making these signs. I just thought it was super funny because what black women are they protecting <laughs> me and what other black women i think those are little i've literally seen three black people in total in the entire mather building and mather has 19 floors on the on the tower and then they have like a whole five or i guess like four floors of like the low rise of, so i just thought it was funny yeah as someone who lives in mather i i can confirm that there is some interesting demographics that work there and they're named after they're named after a slave owner so that just brings everything into question but that just makes it worse yeah makes it so much worse so if you go to harvard please pressure them to change that name oh sorry for the background noise Um, room room Corvette, Corvette. Anyways, <laughs> yeah, please pressure them to change that name because that is so. so. And finally, another experience of mine. I'm just racking them up today. Um, this was not at Harvard, but this was on the T, um, and it was quite scary. So, my friend. Jennifer and I, we went on the T because we were going to Boston for the very first time. I had never been on the T before and we just wanted to eat dinner. Um, I think we were going to go like pick something up and then sit outside by um, the river and just like, you know, have a nice time because it was our, it was like the second week, like the second weekend after phase three had begun. And so we were like, it's our first time. Um, we should have fun you know uh yeah and so i'm sitting on the tee and then this maskless white man walks into oh, no. the car and 
he like sits down and he starts talking to people on like the other end of um the like tea car and like he starts talking i'm not really listening for one stop but he's like super loud and super aggressive and kind of frightening and so um at the next stop i noticed that a bunch of women get on um but like they notice how like loud and disruptive and frightening he is and so like they all sit next to me and jennifer because they're all women and so they all sit next to us i think like because they felt more comfortable um sitting the with the girlies protect the girlies <laughs> but after that i noticed that he's a little bit suspicious and so i start listening to what he's saying first i knew that it was going to be bad because he wasn't wearing a mask um and literally as he was, he was interrupted by like the t announcement like you must wear a face covering on all boston transit blah 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 vehicles um so he's talking talking i'm gonna say a slur by the way um i'm reclaiming it it was used against moi so um he starts talking or he keeps talking and he's like black people are lower than the sixth caste of india niggers in south africa they are scum no one will ever talk to you you will never um be worthy blah 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 and i look around i'm the only black individual in the vehicle um and so i'm uncomfortable and he starts moving closer to me uh, he keeps repeating the n-word with a hard r, hard r and he's moving closer to me and he like i don't make eye contact with him i don't look in his direction because i know that would provoke him and i was very scared for my life in fact and so i text jennifer i don't say it out loud because i feel like he will hear me and i don't know hurt me i don't know people who are also like scooting away from him but i don't think it was like because they were scared of what they were saying about what he was saying about them but just like scared in general because he wasn't wearing a mask so like covid and because he was loud and disruptive but yeah as he got closer to me i texted jennifer i said i'm very uncomfortable with what he's saying can we please switch car cars on like the next stop and she says yes and then at the next stop we immediately like get up and speed walk out of there and every other woman who was sitting near us also did the same thing and he starts yelling at us he's like where are you going blah 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 and then we get in the next car safe and sound and i'm shaking i'm very scared because that's a very scary thing to face like someone talking about how you're like scum and how you're not not worthy and you're lower than the sixth cast of india like that's scary and so um i'm traumatized for the rest of the afternoon um but all is well i that's just like a scary experience that i had on the boston tea again i'm really sorry um there's like not even word like there's not even words to describe like when someone shares that with you like I want to like I first want to thank you first because like that's really there's just so much to unpack from that yeah same same with you in the um first story you shared about being chased by the man yelling ping pong that's so well that was just chaotic like creepy but like really chaotic like i i really get to look back on that like 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 you know my kids are like hey mom how was your first semester of college well let me tell you um <laughs> let me tell you like that was just like really chaotic but i mean no it harmed me in that like where like as a female like you know it's like the same fear like we don't want to walk alone at night you know it's like it's that 
but I've never had to deal with like based on like the my presentation of my race like never had someone to like have invalidate me on like just how I look just like completely like looking at me like hey like you're not you're not worthy like and it like really hurts my heart and like I don't know what the right words are to like comfort someone after they share something with like like that with you but it's not like I'm not gonna make an effort to try so it's like I just want to say like that's so effed up like I'm sorry you shouldn't have to apologize on other people's behalf I think it's um there's not really like a perfect response that people can have um I think it's just like acknowledging how that can harm a person and then like like condemning that type of behavior and then just like yeah acknowledging their struggles um and like letting them know that um that was wrong and they didn't deserve that and that like is never okay in any situation but you don't have to like apologize for other people because that's not like your responsibility um and like like for you um like you shouldn't feel guilty because you haven't experienced that kind of thing like any, no one should experience that kind of thing um i think you just like acknowledge it was wrong and just, like yeah i don't know like so like is that a type like I feel like that's a really important part of being like an ally is like acknowledging that and like having that type of response because people like I know I've talked about um my experience with like how people have treated me because of my ethnicity after I share it with them um and they're like oh well like you gotta have thick skin that sucks but like, you gotta have thick skin I'm like that's not the appropriate response so I'm like, I kind of like want to talk about and like delve into like, you know, like as people who have experienced different sorts of discrimination and prejudice from this, like what is the best response? Yeah, that's really hard to answer because I don't think there is like a best response. I think it definitely changes with every situation. Like with the situation I just shared, um, like what I mentioned before was the best solution, but then like in other situations, like for example, um, when I talked to people about college before I like got my decisions back, they'd be like, oh, you're so lucky you're black. You don't even have to try. And I, I would be like, okay, thank you very much. Thank you. And like, like obviously that's not something I can control, um, but- They didn't say that. I've heard that said many times. Um, I'm not gonna name names. I very well could though. And like people who were around in that situation, like since that's not like dangerous or anything, like the situation I talked about earlier is, condemning the person like to their face is probably the best way to go. Um, like just saying, um, that's not okay, that's not true, and you should never say that ever again. So I think it definitely varies by situation, um, but especially when like, I, I think it's very different for people who are like um outwardly not white and people who um like you can't tell or people like you're not certain um because like i don't know i think you know what i mean like 
um, situations are di- very different. Um, and I, but I think there's like a certain like way that it hurts. Um, I wouldn't know because I, I'm not white passing, but like, I think there's a certain way that it hurts. Like when you trust someone enough to share your ethnicity with them and then they like attack you for it in a way that you can't, like you don't know how to respond to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because as your wow, I'm really unpacking like a lot of this. Like I'm unlocking a lot of memories right now, and a lot of them are not okay. Like I walk into family reunions and I'm the only white passing one in my family for some reason. I don't know how that happened. But then I'll walk in and they'll be like, hey, look, it's our favorite white Mexican. I'm like or look, it's the fake Mexican. I'm like, that's just within my family. But I feel like it's important to contextualize this because like, I know like this is supposed to be a space dedicated to Harvard alone, but like to contextualize this, if you hear this in other situations, like, especially if you're in the Harvard community, because we boast are like, we're supposed to be the best university in the entire world, according to like, was it Forbes? That's it. So like, as the best university in the world, we need to commit to our like we need to put action into our commitment towards diversity and not just like let that be a reflection of like our numbers but like how we support our students as well so like understanding this experiences of our students is extremely important in that notion so like hence why i'm going to contextualize my life right now um so and like there is a lot of pain so like one time and so I went to a really, really competitive middle school in Florida. And like, was that completely healthy? No. Did it happen? Yes. And so um, I shared my ethnicity with my English class. And like the next day I get like, well, not the next day. That's a little exaggeration. But like, like very shortly after I started getting like all these like, rumors of me cheating like I'd never been told that I was a cheat before like everyone's like oh Alexandria is just smart she gets straight A's but then like I remember I was talking to this one boy he's like oh well like you're like this is where I was talking about like the scholarship thing before he's like you're I mean you're just a scholarship kid like they're gonna give you A's I'm like that's not how that works that's really not how that works he's like he earned the scholarship in the first place Thank you. Thank you. And he's like, or like, yeah, I mean, like, Mexicans cheat all the time. Like, and so, like, I even got called into the principal's office for something I didn't even do. And I was like, like, I'm not saying it's complete causation, but like, it was a little weird how rapidly everything devolved once I, like, was outward with my um, ethnicity. And so, like, those are just examples of things that happen. Like, and like, the pain that you were talking about, like, where you're comfortable enough to, like, share your ethnicity with someone it's like um the girl who called me a stupid mexican she used to be one of my best friends in high school and then i found out she was saying that i'm like well i'm not going to be friends with you anymore if you can't accept me for who i am and acknowledge where i came from while also understanding like my value and merit like i, I just can't do it so like it was just really painful because like I did trust her and like I have a policy with myself that like there are a lot of times where if I had just let people think I was white I it probably would have been easier for me but I have like a policy with myself saying like hey like 
I am cognizant of the fact that like I, I think my mom told me I was 75% Hispanic I don't know my real dad so there's that but um like I'm technically I'm like 75% Hispanic because my mom's um she has Mexican and Argentine ancestry and then my biological dad is supposedly Venezuelan all right like full-blooded um according to my mantra and you know that was the only information I got eh. um and so like I'm fully cognizant of that and I'm never going to deny my own identity no matter how easy it would be to use that like to use my white passing like I'm always going to correct someone like hey actually no I'm not way I'm Hispanic like I know it's like not like racial or like ethnic and like you really want to go like on the nuances of that but nonetheless like my ethnicity has led to certain oppressions that other people won't face and like the idea like I really want to touch on and like this is important to note too for people within like competitive institutions where like where that person said like oh you're so lucky to be black you didn't have to try as hard people don't understand like people of marginalized communities have to work harder to overcome that's not how that works like that's not how affirmative action works that's not how like any like commitments to diversity work i'm sorry like i've really said that a lot but like i know in high school like somebody said to me um oh well like because my mom's going through cancer and she was a single mom she's like oh well alexandria got in because she has a whole cancer thing going for her i'm like no like actually it made it like three times as hard to do my work and maintain the same grades what would make someone think that's a smart thing to say that's literally the dumbest thing i've ever heard in my entire life anyway um <laughs> so i'm like that's not how that works and like to not understand the like equity the issues of equity that come in like having to maintain like maintain the grades and the work ethic and the like not even the work ethic that's the wrong word to use like but the like same level of drive and like not to mention most of the times like much more than our counterparts to get to the same places is not nearly like acknowledged enough and so like if you are in this space and you are also listening this is another just a little tidbit important note from alexandria mom energy um like that doesn't like we understand how work how hard you work to get here and how many obstacles you had to overcome and so in terms of creating a more inclusive harvard and like this is kind of like what it boils down to is that we have to acknowledge those experiences and acknowledge like inequity so let's um let's you know work use those experiences to use our college education and the educational privilege we have for good and go out and change that and then use it to make internal reform so that way future generations of harvard students feel more welcome and um valued in this space You're amazing. Thank you for saying all that. That's so important to note. You're amazing. I think that's a great way to end this episode. Um, anything else to add, Alexandria? I don't think so. 
All right, awesome. Thank you for listening. And we look forward to chatting with you again um, in our episode about um, like an analysis of everything that we've said so far. So see you later. Bye.